Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. So welcome to episode 18 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts. If you've been following this podcast, our last three episodes have generally been focusing on the themes of spiritual formation and human relationship, what Christian formation is, how it happens, why spiritual formation matters with respect to our human relationships. And in a sense, our next three episodes will build on those previous episodes because The more I explore these ideas in my own life, this idea of transformation, the more I see a need to dive into what can be a somewhat sensitive topic, and that's a process of inner healing. And so be warned, I may get a little touchy-feely this morning, because this healing work I'm talking about is deep, it's painful, it's liberating, And here's the challenging part. It is work that we simply cannot do by ourselves. In other words, inner work always requires a radical commitment to other people. We can't just move off to some cave in the foothills of the Himalayas and meditate for 10 years and come back to society enlightened. But instead, we engage our life and our relationships with eyes wide open We experience the pain, the friction, the misunderstanding that inevitably stem from the way our blind spots rub up against our expectations. We let the pain of life be our teacher, and from there, we turn to God, we turn to the church, to scripture, to our own prayer life, and we open our heart to the Holy Spirit, and we pray to God for healing." And so for these next few episodes, we're going to lean into the topics of healing and purpose. And to do so, I want to offer us a very specific image, and that is the communion host. Because in the same way that the Eucharistic bread is taken, blessed, broken, and given out, so too God desires to do the same thing in our life. First, God wants to heal us, that is to continually take us into his arms and to remind us that we are already blessed. And second, God wants to give us a purpose to break us just like that communion bread. And if that sounds painful, that's because it is. And as God breaks us of all the ways we want to protect ourselves and defend ourselves and heal ourselves and bless ourselves So God then wants to give us out to the world as food, that is, in such a way that our presence sustains and nourishes the world, which, of course, is what our purpose is all about. And so for today, I'm just going to introduce this idea of healing. We're going to save the topic of purpose for the next episode. Now, I think it's safe to say that Jesus was pretty concerned with healing, After all, Jesus healed the blind, the lame, the lepers, and the sick. And, you know, because these stories are so miraculous and large, 
I find that it can be very easy to distance myself from them. But of course, healing is something that Jesus calls all of us to embrace. Those who are well, he once said, have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. Come to me, all you who are tired and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find healing for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is truly amazing looking at Jesus' words and his actions, how incredibly interested he was and is in healing us. And here's what that tells me. We may or we may not be present to it, but each one of us has been wounded. In other words, the world has had its way with each one of us, and we have all learned a way of being to respond to those wounds. And in the Bible, we see this in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam hearing footsteps right after he had disobeyed, feeling afraid, knowing he's naked, feeling ashamed, and then covering himself with loincloths of his own making. And what I've come to believe is that this is something we all do. We feel fear and we cover ourselves up, and we do what we can to divert attention away from our spiritual nakedness, and all because we have been wounded. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. It really is pretty amazing how bad we are with mending spiritual and emotional wounds. Whenever we were a kid, someone would apply ointment and a bandage whenever we skinned our knee because We know the value of binding up physical wounds. We know what to do so that those wounds heal. But emotional and spiritual wounds are different. And our spirit gets cut very early on in life by nasty words, neglect, rejection, smothering, abuse, by the cold indifference of our world and We all learn to soldier on and medicate those wounds ourselves. And we do this by adopting a fear-based persona we think will shield us from getting hurt again. And whenever I say that we've all been wounded, I don't mean that we've all been traumatized. I just mean to say that life has a way of beating us all up, this funny way of making us feel like we are not enough. And so whenever I talk about life wounding us, I'm not asking you to consider the big, gaping wounds you've experienced, but rather the small punctures that needle you day after day, the death of our spirit by a thousand cuts. And so for a moment, I'm going to invite us to use our imagination for a bit. And I want you to picture yourself as a vulnerable child or as a teenager in this very big and frightening world. You get picked last at recess. You get glasses and people laugh at you. Your older sister or brother has always outshined you and your parents can't stop talking about it. You get dumped or physically abused or your parents leave, or die, 
or you fail a class, or you get fired from your first job. I mean, what are those wounds and the million more we've experienced and will experience other than the ways we hear the world telling us that we are not blessed and that if we want others to bless us, we need to improve or try harder or get our ducks in a row or, if nothing else, to find some way to take control of our life and behave differently in order to make ourselves or our situation more acceptable. Because as a pastor, I have the privilege of listening to other people's painful stories. But what I've noticed is that rarely does someone tell me a pure story. They don't tell me the story of what happened, but they tell me the story of what it meant to them. People rarely tell me the story, the objective facts, so to speak. No, they give me their interpretation. They tell me what it all means. And so, for example, whenever I was a campus minister here in Austin at the University of Texas, every now and again, someone would come to my office and they'd be dejected and they'd say something like, I called a girl and asked her out and she rejected me. Can you see what happened? Those are two very different stories. We invested the second story with a meaning. I am not enough. She rejected me. There is something wrong with me. And as we believe the lie of our own interpretations, we make choices about how to deal with what we perceive to be our not enoughness. We choose to be cool. You know, I'm just not interested in dating or we choose to achieve. Who has time to date? Or to be a jerk? Women are idiots. Or to numb the pain? Ice cream, booze, binging on Netflix. Or we tell ourselves, she said no because. She said no because I don't drink, because I'm too skinny, because of the way I dress. And so we start drinking or working out or wearing trendier clothes. And a false self slowly begins to form. And it all started from a lie we believed. Again, the facts were she said no. Maybe she's shy. Maybe she's not allowed to date or scared or doesn't have time or in a different relationship. But our interpretation of the event, the story we told, was some form of I am not enough. And from that lie... We then had to start making choices about what we need to do or who we need to be in order to make sure we never get wounded again. Now, if this only happened once or twice in life, that really wouldn't be that big of a deal. But if we do this enough over time, which I think we all have to some extent, we start making choices about who we think we need to be and what we need to achieve and possess in order to finally feel like we are enough. And so a bit about what this looks like in my own life. I came from a broken home. My parents divorced whenever I was in the fifth grade, which was an incredibly painful experience at the time, but it was also a really formative one. And I remember being maybe in the sixth or seventh grade, sitting on a psychiatrist's couch, as a very depressed child or teen or tween, whatever I was at the time. And I'll never forget, as tears streamed down my face, asking this psychiatrist, where is God in all of this? 
And here's the catch. I did not ask this as a rhetorical question. The memory, including my emotional state at the time, is crystal clear. I believed in God. And even at that age, you know, my mind agreed that God probably had some kind of plan. But in terms of what it felt like, it felt as if my soul had been stomped on. And I was on the ground wallowing in deep emotional pain. I felt abandoned by my parents, yes, but really... I felt abandoned by God. Okay, and so as I entered high school, I believed in God. I just didn't think he was very competent. Otherwise, I wouldn't be outsourced to some stranger's office who collected a paycheck week after week as I sat on his couch crying in pain and feeling all alone. And whenever I experienced something of God's love, which I did in a very powerful way, I can't help but think that what motivated my zeal to worship and read scripture and be a really good Christian as I understood it was a belief, if only a subconscious one, that if my actions please God, that I could control the relationship and keep God from leaving too. And here's the thing, I'll be 39 years old in September and I wake up every day and put on my priest collar and play the part of an adult slash rector and pretend that I'm in control of things, but the truth is there's a part of me who is still that kid who just wants everyone to be happy and to get along and to stay in the same metaphorical house. I'm someone who's always scanning in every conversation, every relationship, every moment, asking the question, You know, what is it that you need me to do or who do you need me to be to keep you from leaving? And so the persona I sometimes project, I call it the three C's, confident, calm, controlled. I'm not saying that's a total charade, but on some days it is pretty close and on no day of my life is it the full truth of who I am. Because emotionally speaking, it is the same me sitting on that therapist's sofa, feeling abandoned, chewed up and spit out by life, and feeling like God had no clue how to run this universe. And whereas some would say, well, that's in the past. What I would have you consider today is that the past, until Christ does his healing work, is always alive in the present, and that whenever our past isn't healed or acknowledged, it makes life a lot more painful than it has to be. And so I just wonder what your story is, and I wonder what wounds you've experienced and what choices you've made to mend those wounds to make sure you never experience that pain again. Because here's the thing, whether we acknowledge it or not, the wounds are still there. And rather than ascending above them, the grace of God will lower us deeper into those wounds and transform them, and actually turn them into gifts that we can use to serve the world. And the thought I'd offer today is that this really is the job of a Christian community, that God's grace uses a particular sort of community to heal us, a community where we can be who we truly are, where we don't have to hide our sin and brokenness, and where we can be authentically who we are. In other words, healing happens when we can tell the truth and give up our quest to hide our sins and take steps to be courageously vulnerable about the full package of our actual life, not the image we want to project, 
but the full, messy, beautiful truth of who we actually are. The anger, the fears, the mistakes, the hopes, the joys, the desires, the powerlessness we have over our addictions. Because the essence of the human condition east of Eden is to hide. That is the first thing Adam and Eve did after they ate the fruit. They hid. But healing happens when you wake up and you see, oh, here, I don't have to hide. And I don't know why it works this way, but in my experience, it just does. If we can acknowledge our wounds, our fears, our pain, our cross, and those of others, and tell the truth about it in a community where there's not fixing or moralizing or judging, but just empathy and presence, in my experience, God shows up in that place where two or three are gathered in his name, committed to bringing grace to each other, and that's how God binds up and heals our wounds. You can call it accountability, call it community, call it something else, but do not underestimate its importance. You see, we can only unlearn all the lies that oppress us together. Those who are well, Jesus said, have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to a whole new life.